Hello and welcome to the Times Online Pittsburgh Penguins podcast. This is your host, Brian Metzer, and it is great to be back with you this week as it is each and every week as we get together to talk Penguins, National Hockey League, news of the weird, and anything else that might come out of my uh, my mouth during these sit-downs with you on a week-to-week basis. We should mention this is the show for February 1st, 2017, which means we are exactly one month away from the NHL's trade deadline. And Ironically enough, I'm recording this right around 3 p.m., and that should be almost a month to the moment of when the teams will have made their final moves and we're waiting for those final trade calls to come through and let you know exactly who and when and where and what everyone's going to land at this year's trade deadline. We have a lot to get to on today's show, but before we do that, Let's tell you where you can find our show, find some of the other stuff that we do, and much more uh, from Beaver County Times and TimesOnline.com. First, to find this show and all of our other podcasts, you just head over to TimesOnline.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or SoundCloud. Simply search Beaver County Times. You'll find all of our great stuff for you there. On uh, TimesOnline.com itself, you'll find all of our written word, all of my Penguins coverage, all of the work that... Uh, Mark Madden and Chris Mueller and everybody else does covering the Pirates, Penguins, Steelers, all the other teams uh, that we have going on, as well as Scholastic coverage. We also cover all the local news you need down there in Beaver County and the surrounding areas. So do check us out at timesonline.com. You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Metzer. I hope that you will do that because I do inter- uh, enjoy interacting with all of you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, etc., etc., etc. So please do. Uh, look me up over there as well. Let's jump right into it. We should. Uh, we'll just kick this off by saying the All Star break is officially in the books, which means we are officially into the second half of the season. And I know technically, in terms of just splitting the 82 games down the down the middle, we already had passed that mark. A lot of teams are already barreling towards 60 games. But the uh, the All Star break is usually the de facto midpoint of the NHL season, and that just passed last weekend. And it was a, a very cool event, first of all, starting with Friday with the uh, NHL announcing the top 100 NHL players of all time. If you follow my work at timesonline.com, you already saw a column that I wrote for Monday sort of ripping that up a little bit because they didn't include Evgeny Malkin for whatever reason on the list. And I get it. I mean, a lot of folks would probably overlook Evgeny Malkin specifically whenever you think about Sidney Crosby being on the list, Mario Lemieux, as well as uh, seven other Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, But, I mean, Geno has scoring titles. He has MVPs. He has a playoff MVP. He has two Stanley Cups. He is a Rookie of the Year. I mean, this is a guy that's accomplished quite a bit. He is uh, right there in terms of the all-time leaders in points per game. He is going to be an all-time great from his country, if not one of the best-born Russian players ever. So, for my money, Evgeny Malkin should have been on that list. We're not going to harp on it too much here other than to say it's kind of absurd when you see, and, and it doesn't end with Gino. he was left off. Joe Thornton of the San Jose Sharks was left off. Jerome McGinley was left off. I mean, these are guys that are going to be all-time great players. And, and I get it, you only have so many names that you could include. And really, they only had 67 names to add because they gave the first 33 spots to the folks who played uh, prior to the, uh, or just coming out of that original six era, if you will. So uh, there are only 67 spots. But 
when you look at the Chicago Blackhawks having 17 players on the list and then still getting on Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, and Duncan Keith, that's what I think ruffled a lot of feathers. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna put those guys on from the current day, you left off uh, Gino, Thornton, Aginla, Dale Howarchuk. All these other players that have better credentials in terms of individual accomplishments. And I get it. They have the three Stanley Cups. But at the same time, for me, if it's a list of the all-time great players, a team accomplishment shouldn't really leapfrog them past other individual accomplishments from other players. But check out my article. It is over on timesonline.com for you. It might be behind a paywall now, but uh, check it out anyway because it's, a, it's, it's a, I think, an intriguing read as well as everything else that you would be able to gain access to. Anyways, um, that happened on Friday night to start off the All-Star events. And the coolest moment for me, Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr sitting on a dais answering questions. That right there is... If Gordie Howe was still alive, he'd have been sitting there with him. And what's kind of awesome is if you were making a Mount Rushmore of the National Hockey League's all-time greats and people were having uh, the debate about who would be the number one player of all time, those names all come up. Those are the guys that are kicked around and debated and and fought and argued about in bars uh, around North America and the globe. And What's kind of awesome about it is if you're up in Boston area, Maine, up in the whole Northeast, you're going to have everybody fighting for Bobby Orr. If you're down towards this part of the world, you're going to have everybody saying Mario Lemieux was the all-time greatest. And I think you can make a strong case for Mario based on his career accomplishments and the fact that he missed so much time due to injury. If he had been able to play, also if he had the surrounding cast as a Wayne Gretzky, his numbers would probably be a lot closer to Wayne's. But those are the great things about these arguments. But nobody can take anything away from Wayne Gretzky either. I mean, Wayne, of course, has more assists than anybody else has points, aside from uh, Yarmir Yager now, because he's right there at number two, and so it's like Yager will probably end up passing Gretzky's assists before this is all said and done, And uh, but he, no one's ever going to catch Wayne's overall points. Yager would have to play uh, at another you know, 10, 12 years probably to make that happen. It's just not, not going to become a reality. But generally speaking, having the Rushmore of the National Hockey League sitting there answering questions, interacting, posing for photos was awesome. Seeing Yarmir Yager there with Mario Lemieux and Ron Francis bringing that line back together, that was awesome. Paul Coffey hanging out with these guys. So for Penguins fans and National Hockey League fans, I think this was like a a dream event. That kicked off the All-Star weekend. Then you get into the skills competition on Saturday, which I should mention. It was kind of intriguing because they had uh, DJ Snoopadelic is what he goes as, or goes by these days, and that's uh, Snoop D-O-G-G, Snoop Dog, E-Dog, E-Dog. What's kind of interesting about this is he goes out, he's playing uh, music. He's not even really playing. He, he played a couple of his own tunes, uh, a couple of his own tunes, but nobody told Snoop and well, even if they did, I don't think he would give a crap that it was live TV. So we had f bombs dropping on the broadcast, probably seven fifteen Eastern Standard Time. I don't think that the uh, FCC folks probably appreciated this, nor did the NBC people. But uh, yeah, many an expletive going right out over the airwaves from. DJ Snoopadelic as he uh, played that. He played a DMX song. He played a Snoop song that uh, just was dropping the uh, the F-bombs like crazy. So that was kind of a funny moment. And then you get into the skills competition itself. Sidney Crosby 
playing in just his second All-Star game because he just, for some reason or another, always seems to be hurt at this time of the year. And uh, he was able to go. He won the accuracy shooting, and he took five shots to hit his targets. That was really awesome, and he came so close to getting it in 4-for-4, four four, and if he had done it in 4-for-4, four four, he would have come very close to the all-time time record set by Daniel Sedin. But he still finished with the best time overall in this competition, and uh, it was uh, just cool to watch him out there. He was, seemed like he was just drinking this whole experience in, and he seemed to be having a blast taking part in the All-Star festivities. He then went out and helped his team win the skills relay. He did the stick handling against Austin Matthews, uh, was who he was going up against, and did a great job, helped his team win that in terms of the time. And then he goes out and he scores a goal in the All-Star game itself, to help his team get the two victories needed to win the event and a cool $1 million. So Sidney Crosby was playing with Alex Ovechkin and Ryan McDonough. Seemed like he and Ovi, who we all know are, are rivals because of when they you know, came into the league and all of this kind of thing, but they were having a blast hanging out with one another. Ryan McDonough out there with them, but the star of the day, uh, Wayne Simmons, from the Philadelphia Flyers, who is one of the most still underrated players in the National Hockey League. Love Wayne Simmons. I think I, I just like the way he plays the game. He goes hard to the net, scores the dirty goals, does all the heavy lifting. He is um, he, he went out and he was humbled by this situation, acted as if he didn't even think he should be an all-star. And at the end of the day, he wins himself a nice truck. He wins the MVP and uh, was part of helping the Metropolitan Division win the uh, the entire event. We should also mention Cam Atkinson had a nice day from the Columbus Blue Jackets. He came pretty close to being an MVP candidate himself, but I think the fact that he scored one of his goals into an empty net probably scared off the voters there. Now, in terms of actual Penguins hockey, they limped into the All-Star break with two consecutive losses, both in regulation, we should mention. That's the second time that they had lost two or more games in regulation. They lost three a couple weeks ago. Um, and and that was the first time that had happened in over a year. They've now done it twice in the month of January. So you don't like seeing that, but that just tells you how hard it is to go out and win every single game, not losing games in regulation. So uh, they they bounced back very well from those two losses uh, because they first lost to the St. Louis Blues 3 to nothing, who ironically just fired their coach Ken Hitchcock today. And uh, then they fell to the Boston Bruins on Thursday in their final uh, game before the All-Star break, 4-3. to three. They blew a 2 nothing lead in Boston, which was particularly ugly. Uh, real quick, we should mention a, an aside that uh, I, I heard. Uh, it was after the Blues game in Pittsburgh two Tuesday, or last Tuesday. Ken Hitchcock heard by multiple media members saying he was kind of tired of the grind of coaching in the National Hockey League and saying that if he could just report for games and coach the game and go home, he would have been a much happier man. But getting to the rink four hours ahead of the game and having to be there and waste so much time away from his family was really taking a taking a toll on him. And he was talking to somebody uh, in clear shot of some media members that night. So interesting that a week later he's out of a job. You wonder if uh, he was just sort of in get me out of here mode, but that will probably never be known. And it'll it really be intriguing to see if he pops up coaching another team because he was going to be done this season regardless. And former Wilkes-Barre Scranton uh, and uh, Penguins assistant 
head coach in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, and Penguins assistant coach Mike Yo was going to take over for the or take over the Blues next season. He's taken over right now a bit early, but they did beat the Penguins a week ago. Penguins will see them again on Saturday night. That's going to be a tough game, but they bounced back in a big way from those two losses on Tuesday night, uh, beating the Nashville Predators four to two. Pretty great showing, I would say. Matt Murray again in the net. Uh, he's just starting every game now. I mean, it's very clear the direction that this team is going in terms of what they're going to do with their goaltenders. But Murray played. He was pretty good in the game. Probably one of his better starts uh, in, a, in about a week, week and a half, because he, he didn't look so hot in the Boston game or the St. Louis game. But he was good against the Predators, and he got some goal support from Chris Kunitz, Trevor Daly, and Patrick Hornquist, who scored two. Hornquist now with five points in six career games against his former team, the Nashville Predators. He was back on a line with Sidney Crosby and by all accounts really enjoyed playing with Sid again. You may recall that those two played together during the Stanley Cup uh, run last season. They really did a nice job in, in terms of just being the Penguins' top line or de facto top line because some folks could have said Geno's line could have been that or the HBK, but Sidney Crosby really has has uh, when he's gotten the opportunity to play with Patrick Hornquist, they've thrived a bit. Hornquist said uh, after the game last night, playing with Sid, he goes, going back to last playoff, I think we play really well together. We know exactly where we are on the ice, and we show that. We get some really good looks the first shift. Uh, almost had a tap on the back door, just missed it a little bit. I think the other lines played very well, too. It was a big team effort for us. We haven't been the best here the last two games. Come back in front of our own fans and play really good. So that worked out well for Hornquist and the Penguins. And the thing, the play he's talking about with the backdoor look, he tried to go Sidney Crosby on uh, Pecorine last night. He had a, a look from below the goal line, and Rene was out of his net a bit. He tried to chip it off of Rene's uh, back of his skate or leg and knock it into the net. But it didn't work out for him. He didn't get the good pull cue uh, action the way that Sidney Crosby does, and it wouldn't go. It didn't go in for him. But great attempt from him and Patrick Hornquist. You, I think you guys know where I stand on him, and it's kind of intriguing to watch he and James Neal on the same sheet of ice because now they've played each other a number of times as uh, the former. Uh, being with the former team or the other team, and now they, you know, are with their new destinations, their new clubs, and I think Patrick Hornquist still has just been a much better fit with the Penguins, and James Neal has been there. The Predators are still getting what they wanted out of James Neal. He goes out and scores some goals for them, probably not to the level that they anticipated, but for me, the culture change still that came with Patrick Hornquist getting a guy who was a little bit more of an opera singer going me, 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 because we know that's sort of what James Neal is or was, and I get beat up from some of my colleagues because I have some folks that I work with that really, really like James Neal. I always thought he was a bit selfish. He wasn't the best teammate. He was kind of hard on some of the younger guys, and if your name wasn't Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin, he wasn't all that tight with you. So, that's my opinion. That's not something that, you know, is going to be gospel around the league. But for me, you see a guy like Patrick Hornquist and in a different situation, he'd have a letter on his shirt, man. He'd, he'd have a, le a letter right on his left chest. This is a guy that's a leader on and off the ice. He does all the heavy lifting, all the hard work, all the ugly work, goes to the front of the net. And it's a guy that if you're playing against him, he's not someone you want to face. I mean, he he's in your face. He's chirping you, he's scoring, he's doing all these things, and he did it last night against his former team and helped the Penguins get a pretty big win. We should mention 
that uh, Chris Letang was back in the lineup. He had practiced a couple of days leading into the All-Star break, got the All-Star break off to recoup a little bit more, and he was out there and right back into being Chris Letang. He played uh, over 20 minutes yet again. It was 23-plus, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the game sheet right in front of me. And, of course, as I typically do, I forgot to write that number down uh, on my notes here for the show. But he uh, did everything. He played in all situations. That worked well for him. He got himself into a little bit of a scrum at the end of the game. Uh, it looked like that was going to get a little more heated than it did. And for all the folks that swoon over Chris Letang and Mike Fisher, because Mike Fisher... I, I, I don't know. Something about that dude. He's got like an angelic face and he's he's a very handsome dude. So I think that I've often heard a lot of the ladies say that, you know, we know they love Chris Letang. And I know that uh, a lot of folks or a lot of ladies out there have loved Mike Fisher. These two, uh, you know, Adonises, if you will, almost lock horns. And then I, I figured I pictured people freaking out because one of them was going to bust their face up as they came together. But uh, it didn't happen. They just they were just barking at each other a little bit. One of those kind of uh, funny situations between two pretty boys. And uh, they broke them up. They uh, served some time in the penalty box. And no harm, no foul. But Chris Letang, uh, he said that he overall, he felt great. Didn't have any issues. And he said, I mean, you're always going to have to experience a little bit of rust when you have three days off. And he was talking about the team as a whole. I think we outshot them. We had our chances. It went both ways, but it was good. Trevor Daly scored a big goal in this game. I really think he's playing some of his best hockey of the season right now. Uh, If he gets a clean look at the net, he lets slap shots fly better than anybody when he gets that opportunity, and that's what he did last night. He took a pass from Carl Hagelin, cutting across the blue line, and just unleashed hell on Pecorine with this slap shot. Beat him high over the glove hand. And he was uh, talking about his own play. He said, when I came back off of injury, I just went right to the left. Because he's talking about left-right sides. And he seems to be more comfortable on the right side, but they played him on the left right off of his injury. So to continue, he said, I'm a little more comfortable on the right, but I want to be a guy that's able to, when called on, if I need to play the left, I'll play the left. Just getting a little bit comfortable was going back to the right for comfort, but I have no problem playing on the left side. And he did a pretty great job for the Penguins last night and scoring that goal. So you like to see that. Now, on to the bad news, because this is going to be an interesting situation for the Penguins, because, uh, you know, we went through the first half of the season with them remaining largely healthy, avoiding injuries better than they probably had in many, many years, aside from the fact that Sidney Crosby started the season with a uh, concussion, that is. But this is a a situation, and Matt Murray, (laughs) we're leaving him out of the mix, but they started with those injuries, generally speaking though, were fairly healthy, started to get very healthy right around uh, end of November into December, and then the injuries started to come again, Latang, you had uh, Matt Cullen go on the shelf in January, you had a couple other guys pop up with injuries, and now, lo and behold, another one comes back to bite him, and it's Connor Sheary, who's been probably the biggest story biggest surprise of the season for this team out four to six weeks with an upper body injury but there was a uh, just a slight hint of good news Matt Cullen was back on the ice for practice today Wednesday and it looks like he could be making some progress maybe getting himself back into the lineup here sooner rather than later and that's great news because there's debates going on all around uh, in the Twitterverse and around the hockey community, specifically here in Pittsburgh. Who should replace Connor Sheary on the top line? I'm not going to point a finger at Matt Cullen by any means. 
but you know from history that Mike Sullivan and his staff, they love Matt Cullen's ability to be a chameleon, to blend in wherever they need him to in the lineup. He can sort of slide up, he can slide down, he can check, he can kill penalties, he can play the power play, and yes, he can play on the top line. And occasionally, you've seen him be the guy that's been called upon to, to offset losses of Evgeny Malkin, which he still might be able to if he gets back before Geno. They might put him right in there on the second line. Uh, in Geno's spot, or he may end up getting a chance to play the wing with Sidney Crosby. It's been done before. Not saying it's going to happen. And there's there's a number of other guys you could kick around. I mean, the name Jake Gensel's come up. Carter Rowney's up here now. He could play the wing if called upon to do so. Done it down at the American Hockey League level. You could also see a recall. Brian Russ could just go right back onto that wing and you flip somebody over to the left side. It's just going to be uh, intriguing to see what this coaching staff does to offset the loss of Connor Sheary, who by all accounts has been a major spark plug for the offense this season. But uh, Mike Sullivan had this to say about it today because... The uh, Sheary is having an outstanding year. 17 goals, 35 points, has thrived with Sid. Sullivan said, Sheary's having a really good year. It's a tough one for us. Our depth will be tested. We've got guys that can step up. We know we have guys that can fill different roles. That's been one of the strengths of this team. It will continue to be a strength. I'm going to say... As soon as Matt Cullen's healthy, he's playing in the top six in some capacity. Because Eric Fair's shown a, a a very great drive lately. He's fit in very well on the fourth line, playing where he's been uh, just slotted in with Chris Kunitz and Scott Wilson. I think Cooney's been great playing on the fourth line, and I'd hate to break up that unit. So if Cullen can get back by the time this team plays Friday, make no mistake, I think he will be the guy to be inserted on one of those top two lines in the odd man out of that situation, be it Carter Rowney or who, or, or Jake Gensel, will be the one to probably play with Sid. But I'm, I'm going to say Matt Cullen's going to be the guy to get a look because the coaching, the coaching staff trusts him. They like his ability to play up and down the lineup, and it allows him to not tinker with everything else too much. So uh, that's my final answer, and I'm sticking to it here, uh, Regis. So uh, let me know. I'm locking it in. It, it's it's a million-dollar question, though, because you, I've heard Kunitz, people want to elevate him. I don't. I, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm debating this again with myself. Nope, we're sticking with it. Now, uh, Cullen, this is what Sullivan had to say about him. He said, it's feeling good. Oh, Matt Cullen actually said this. My bad. I'm reading my notes here wrong. It's feeling good. It's always a nice step when you get out with the team, get on the ice with the guys, and, and get back up to game speed. I'm happy with how it's progressing. It's probably a little ahead of schedule. We'll see how the week goes. Now, Sullivan said this. The weekend is in play. It's a big step that Cullen joined the practice. He felt pretty good. We'll see how he progresses and how he responds today. He'll practice with us Thursday, and then we'll make decisions from there. Come on. You guys know. We've seen this fish before. He's going to play Friday. I feel it. I just I have a feeling he's going to be back in the lineup. Some other notes on the injured Penguins that have still been lingering. Um, Evgeny Malkin. He skated with the um, Penguins skill coach uh, ahead of the practice this morning. And he's expected to do so again on Thursday. He's continuing to progress. Phil Kessel missed practice today with a maintenance day. And uh, Sidney Crosby. Coaching staff forced him to take today off, and they joked that they hid his skates 
because Sid did not take a day off when he came back from the All-Star game. He just was out there. He, he played. Uh, he, he practiced. He, they said he got back in to Pittsburgh at roughly 1, 1.30 in the morning after the All-Star events on Sunday. He was right out there with his team practicing on Monday and then played in the game on Tuesday. So Sidney Crosby, you know how he is. He doesn't take days off. And they had to force him to take this day off. They told him that, uh, they pretty much said they told him not to even come to the rink. Now, if he wasn't really there, I don't know. He's not one to stay home in full, but that's what they said. Now, this is going to be an intriguing weekend because it is a very tough stretch of play that's coming up. You have the Columbus Blue Jackets on Friday. You know that the Blue Jackets took care of the Penguins handily back in December. Uh, leading right into the holidays. Everyone was feeling good. Penguins flying along, looking great, feeling great, doing all the things you want to see. And then they went into the buds, into the buzzsaw that was the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they laid a touchdown on the Penguins after Sidney Crosby scored the opening goal of the game. Just not a good night. That stupid cannon went off time and time again. If I was covering that game, I would have been dying because that thing is just loud and obnoxious. And I guess if we were in Columbus, we'd love it. But when you're in opposing... Uh, media member, fan, player, you don't want to hear that thing blasting. And that's exactly what it did again, 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 and then three more times. And uh, the Penguins, at least if they fall to Columbus this Friday, won't have to hear the cannon because they will be doing it in the confines of PPG Paints Arena. But that's not going to be an easy game. That team, uh, for whatever reason, I, I still don't know what happened to get them righted this year because even once Tortorella took over last year, they still weren't back to necessarily playing the high level of hockey that they did a handful of seasons ago when they made it to the playoffs. But now they truly are among the best teams in the league, and they're getting it uh, done offensively. They play very sound defensive hockey. They get great goaltending. You have guys like Cam Atkinson having career seasons, Alexander Wenberg having a career season, Brandon Saad really rounding into form, doing a nice job. And, of course, Zach Wierenski, the, the rookie, he had cold off. He was having a, a little bit of a tough stretch of play where he wasn't scoring as much as he was earlier this season. Well, now his last uh, three or four games, he's starting to roll up the offense again too. So uh, keep your eye on him on Friday. Then you go right into St. Louis. That's not an easy back-to-back. You play at home. And you you, you got to finish up late night Friday. You probably pack. You hit the airport. They'll be traveling on through the night as if uh, Def Leppard was playing the uh, soundtrack to this trip, to this journey. They'll be traveling hardcore. And then they probably won't skate Saturday morning. And then it's right out for a tough game against the uh, St. Louis Blues on Saturday night. And the Blues, even though they're not quite the team that they were, still play a heavy game, still play a hard game. They hit a lot. They beat the Penguins up a little bit when they beat them last week. So um, that's not going to be an easy situation. The question for me, Will Marc-Andre Fleury get one of those games? You have to assume he's going to play in the back-to-back situation. Unfortunately, he hasn't played since January 14th now. So you're into February. You're going to be a full week after February 1st almost. So you're going to be what? Uh, it's the 1st today and it's it's Wednesday. So it's the 3rd of February. He hasn't wouldn't have played since uh, the 14th. That's a long time to have not suited up for a, a game to get a start. And the sad thing for Marc-Andre Fleury is he hasn't thrived in those situations. So I, I just feel like that's that's going to be a tough spot for him. But I, I, if it were me, I'd play him on Friday night at home in front of the home crowd 
Hopefully he'd make a big save early. He'd get a couple flurry chants going from the uh, the friendly masses at PPG Paints. He'd be feeling pretty good about himself. Come back with Murray on Saturday and then go from there with hopefully a little bit more of a rotation because you just I just still can't fathom not giving Mark a start. And I know some smart smart butts on uh, on Twitter want to call me out and say, well, Murray's a, clearly the better goaltender at this point. Well, his numbers speak differently uh, because in his, sev- his seven starts leading up to last night, he had a uh, 3.01 goals against and a 9.02 save percentage. So, uh, yeah, that's not terrible, but it wasn't exactly the Matt Murray we'd all come to know and love. I don't know that it warranted starting seven straight games and not letting Marc-Andre Fleury play even a single game. So, you know, maybe you should you know look at the numbers every once in a while before you just want to call me out like a smarty on Twitter. But anyway, um, with that, the trade deadline is exactly a month away. I think it's very, very, very obvious that they are looking to find a taker for Marc-Andre Fleury, and that is sort of the rumor you hear a lot about this. And uh, the teams that probably would need a goaltender, Winnipeg, St. Louis, Calgary, and the Dallas Stars. Um, of those teams, I think the one that probably looks the most attractive as a trade partner might be the Winnipeg Jets because you could potentially talk them into giving you Jacob Truba. I was never one of these guys that said Truba, 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 but he fits the mold of what I've been saying they need, and that's a guy that can help their penalty kill. He throws his body around, he hits, but he's mobile. He can play offensively. Uh, I think that would be a great get. I don't think you're getting him for Marc-Andre Fleury straight up. That's not a one-for-one deal by any means, but maybe you get a couple other components or pieces in the mix, and you make that happen. Uh, The Blues... They still believe in Jake Allen. Not sure that they are really looking hardcore at picking up a goaltender right now, but it could happen. The Calgary Flames, Doug Hamilton, or Dougie, that's, he likes to go as Dougie. Dougie Hamilton's name came up earlier this season in regard to a trade for Marc-Andre Fleury. They have almost identical cap hits, so that would be an intriguing one to consider as well, even though he's not necessarily a penalty killer, but he can go out and play offensively, very mobile, move the puck, roll up the offense. From the Dallas Stars, you have a handful of uh, defensemen that they would consider moving. One is uh, Stephen Johns, the local product, and uh, Alexiak. Uh, Steve Alexiak, uh, I believe that's his name, Steve. <laughs> I'm confusing myself now with all the Steves floating around in my mind. But Alexiak really started to roll up the offense a little bit this year. And Paul Steigerwald uh, mentioned to us during a conversation last Saturday on Penguins Live Weekly on the Penguins Radio Network that uh, that was a player the Penguins were hopeful to draft when he came into the league. So that's an intriguing name because he's a good player. I think he has a a higher level of skill than he's shown to this point of his NHL career. But uh, either he or Steven Johns would be an intriguing pickup. And then uh, if you're sending a goalie their way, though, you're probably stuck taking one of their goaltenders back. And the name Patrick Sharp has also come up as a potential uh, player of interest in Penguin circles. And if that were to be the case, that would help you in your top six because that brings you another wing. Uh, they could be used throughout your top three lines. And uh, maybe it incentivizes you to uh, take back one of those goalies if they give you him on the cheap. But these are all just me throwing out wild speculation. So things to think about. We're obviously going to hit the trade deadline a little harder as we move into the deadline itself on March 1st, which is, as I said, a month away. 
Um, let's get you your Twitter question. They got one this week, but it does come from our good friend Chris Needlesheel on Twitter. And he said he's heard from other pundits around the hockey universe, including Phil Bork, Mark Madden, our friend Josh Yoey, and others. And he wanted to know the pros of cons or pros and cons for keeping the Pens lineup the same as last year. Well, for me, I think you're seeing uh, the the team this year look not not uh, lethargic. That's not the right word, but maybe a little complacent at times. And I think when you have just everything staying just copacetic, no change, everything's just sort of as it was. That's a great thing if you can keep the right mindset. But keeping the right mindset under those circumstances is not easy. Where everything's just the same. You know you came off of a Stanley Cup victory and uh, you, you just think it's going to happen again. You, you almost forget the hard work. And this is going to be a horrible analogy. And I'm sure that folks are going to get mad at me for it. But, well, no, you won't get mad at me. But it, it's, not, it's not a good analogy. But let's look at it like childbirth. And I'll give you a moment to get angry or roll your eyes or whatever. But I've often heard... Mothers say that you almost forget the pain of having a baby because if you remembered the pain, you wouldn't do it again. So to make a horrible analogy here, I think it's sort of like this situation of winning a Stanley Cup. You win and you forget everything that went into it and you almost just think it's going to happen again and you forget maybe the pain that you go through so that you you let yourself slip a little bit. And I know that's not a apples to apples comparison, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. You sort of just forget what it is. Now, in in the case of having children, it's probably a good thing that you forget because as mothers say, it's so painful and such a horrible experience for one's body that they don't want to go through it again if you would remember all of that. Whereas in this case, forgetting makes you sort of get complacent and, and forget the blood, sweat, and tears that you need to put forth to win the Stanley Cup. So in those situations, I think you've got to shake it up a little bit. You you do maybe have to upset the apple cart, bring in another face or two. Now that doesn't mean make a, a significant cultural change because I don't think this team needs that. Mike Sullivan has done a great job of establishing his will and, and sort of letting everybody know who's in charge. So this isn't like the inmates role in the asylum or anything, but you have seen his frustration at times this year. Specifically, uh, an example comes to mind of him talking about the shorthanded goal that Brad Marchand scored last week uh, when the Penguins lost to the Boston Bruins. He was not pleased. He was actually kind of PO'd about it, and he said, you know, that's one we just gave it to them. We gave it away. His team's if you or his team going back to last year, they're not one to give goals away. They made everything hard. They made teams fight for every inch of space. They they just did everything better than everyone and won a lot of games because of it. And this year they're not doing it. So I think when that happens, you identify an asset or two that you know is not a spare part, but is maybe the guy that you'd be okay with taking out of your lineup. And the Penguins have one or two of those types of guys. And even if you still kept them around by trading an asset such as a future asset, like a draft pick or maybe someone from Wilkesbury Scranton, and you brought in a face, uh, maybe you know just somebody who can come in and maybe add to the leadership group of this team, just add to the grit, add to this. But it can't be a, a plodding, slow skater, anything like that. You need somebody that can play at a high level of speed, play the game the way Mike Sullivan likes it played, and fit into what they're doing here. And if you can't get it, 
you don't just make a move to make it, but you, you got to find the right fits in terms of chemistry and character and just to com- uh, complement what you're already doing here. So I do think Jim Rutherford's in the process of doing that right now, and I do think he's going to graft on a piece or two. Maybe not something huge, but I, I do see him adding something to this team before it's all said and done. So thanks for your question. As always, Chris, always appreciate your, your contribution to the show on a weekly basis. Now, on to news of the weird. In this one, I picked this just because I'm an animal lover, but I don't know how I feel about this. Because for me, it's sort of like... Um, I'm very torn when I when I think about chemotherapy for for pets and doing cancer treatments and all of this only because I feel like you're really suffering or you're putting an animal animal through undue suffering and it's almost torture for them because it's almost not natural. However, I haven't necessarily been in that spot. I know people who have and they've opted to do the treatments and they've gotten their their pet long term for, you know, a, a much longer lifespan. But it, Unless I was guaranteed to have this happen, I don't know how I feel. And, and this is one of those cases. Very, very weird. A ferret has successful pacemaker surgery at Kansas State. Now, I don't know how I feel about this, but it was kind of a neat story. Because a ferret gets a pacemaker, and he's going to go on and, and live a long, fruitful life, it sounds like here. So this is from Manhattan, Kansas. A ferret is recovering after being fitted with a pacemaker during a rare surgery at Kansas State University. The four-year-old ferret named Zelda is owned by Carl Hobie, and, uh, who, who took this ferret to the Veterinary Health Center in Manhattan, Kansas after Christmas. Zelda had a third-degree block in her heart, which caused a low heartbeat and lack of energy. The university said... That test determined Zelda was a good candidate for a pacemaker, although it had to be a special order because of her vein's small size. The university says Zelda was released two days after the surgery and should enjoy a normal ferret lifespan, which the school's veterinary college says generally is about 10 years. It was the first time the center implanted a pacemaker in a ferret. So... Great story. I like it because I am an animal lover and it's it's cute and the ferret's going to go on to live. But I don't know that I would do that. And that is why it was today's News of the Weird. Let me know what you think. Would you get your your ferret a pacemaker? Very curious for your take on the situation. And with that, we wrap up another edition of the Times Online Pittsburgh Penguins podcast. I appreciate you guys listening for 38 minutes now. Uh, always... Uh, Appreciate you sticking with me week in and week out. And of course, we will be back next Wednesday. So you better be there or be less than circular for the Times Online Pittsburgh Penguins podcast.